Okay, here we go. You ready? Buggle your seatbelts. There was a couple celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, and somebody asked them to sum up the reason for their long and happy marriage. And the husband said, I have tried to never be selfish. After all, there is no I in the word marriage. (laughs) And the wife said, for my part, I have never corrected my husband's spelling. (laughs) Secrets to happy marriage. I have another marriage story. It was a Sunday morning in a rural area, and the church was packed, and the devil decided to pay a visit. So the doors burst open, and this rolling black cloud rolls into the auditorium, and the devil is in the midst of this black cloud. People jump out of the pews, and they run outdoors screaming, all except for two. One is the pastor, and the other is an old weathered rancher. And Satan is a bit perplexed with these two people left in the church, and he points to the pastor and he says, You! I can understand why you didn't run away. You are in your Lord's house. You preach against me every day, and you aren't afraid of me. But you, and he points to the old rancher, why didn't you run out scared like everyone else? And the rancher crossed one leg over the other, and he drawled, Why, I'm surprised you don't recognize me. I've been married to your sister for 47 years. (laughs) I am that dad. Today we're going to talk a little bit about marriage. We're going to talk about a bunch of other kinds of relationships. We're going to talk about divorce. um, All kinds of relationship issues that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But before we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I want to take you to Judges chapter 6. For those of you that are tracking with us in this message series in in 1 Corinthians that we're calling Crossroads, um, when when we get to chapter 7 today, I've been reading and reading and reading in this chapter over and over and over, and Paul talks about so many things. I was asking the Lord, how do I get us just the big idea that brings all of these relationship issues together? And so I was asking the Lord for a a, a metaphor that will help us pull this together, and he led me to the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 6, and that's where I want to start today, and I want to make some observations about uh, an event that happened to a guy by the name of Gideon, and you might want to open your your Bibles to Judges, chapter 6. And, and what we're going to see in, in this chapter is then going to help us kind of distill what we're going to read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which actually today I'm not going to read this whole chapter. Uh, I hope that will be your homework this week is to spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So Judges chapter 6, are you there with me? Two of you have joined me in Judges chapter 6. Welcome. I'm glad you're with me. Here's how the chapter starts. It says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. 
So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now, if you've ever read, read this part of the Old Testament, you know that this is kind of a cycle with Israel. They serve the Lord, they love the Lord, they live in this season of blessing, and then they start serving other gods, they worship false gods, they step out of the umbrella of God's blessing, and all kinds of terrible things happen, and they don't seem to ever learn their lesson. Can anybody relate here in this room? This is where they were, seven years of oppression from the Midianites. The first part of this chapter describes what the Midianites are doing. The Midianites are so numerous and they are so oppressive. They're going in and they're harvesting Israel's crops or they're stealing their crops. They're stealing their flocks, their their herds. They're stealing everything they have and they are so cruel that the people of Israel have actually fled to the mountains and they're living in caves. It is a terrible time. Verse 7 says, when they cried out to the Lord because of their enemies, the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. And the prophet came to them and explained what was going on. The prophet said, hey, listen, you didn't worship the Lord. He was blessing you. He was good. And, 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 And you stepped out from under that covering of blessing. It's no wonder this has happened. But the people began to pray. And so verse 11 says that the angel of Yahweh came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah. This tree belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebiezer, and Gideon, he's going to be our our focus today, Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Now let me just explain to you a little bit about what's happening, okay? Uh, Archaeological archaeologists have discovered wine presses in the Middle East, and they look like this. And, and if you go to the next slide, uh, please, this is kind of a, this is a diagram of how they would thresh, thresh, press grapes to make wine. And so this young lady is bringing the grapes. These guys are, are stomping on the grapes. It's sometimes made just like this with did you know when you enjoy your glass of wine that somebody's feet have already touched that, those grapes, all right? And they would stomp the grapes and then it would pour down into this, into this, into this vat down here. And, and so scholars believe that Gideon was probably hiding down in this receiving vat, all right? And the reason he was down there threshing grain was because he didn't want the Midianites to come in and see what he was doing and take all of his grain because he was hungry, okay? He was also afraid. He was very afraid. So that, that's kind of where he was. Back to the story, verse 12 says, The angel of Yahweh appeared to Gideon and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, this is kind of a comical moment in this story because Gideon is a fraidy cat. And the reason I know that is because he was hiding down in the bottom of a wine press, A, and B, later on in the story, we find out that Gideon is afraid of everything, and the angel shows up and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. You know what happens sometimes in our lives? God sees something in us that we don't see in ourselves. Quite often, the Lord sees a lot more strength and a lot more character and a lot more courage than we can see when we look in the mirror. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Gideon replies in verse 13, he says, if the Lord is with us, have you ever said that to God? If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? 
Where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? You can probably relate to Gideon. If you've ever felt like the Lord wasn't giving you the miracles that you've heard everybody else talk about. And then verse 14 says, Then the Lord turned to Gabriel... Actually, in the original language, it says Yahweh turned to Gabriel. Started out talking about the angel of Yahweh. Now it just says, it turns out the angel is actually a manifestation of Yahweh himself. Yahweh turned to Gideon and said, go with the strength you have. You don't have a lot, but go with the strength you have and, and, and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Everybody say, I am sending you. Here's the first thing I want to distill out of this story about Gideon is this. God gave Gideon an assignment. And his assignment was to rescue Israel. Go and rescue Israel. Gideon pushes back, verse 15. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. What he's saying is I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. I'm a nobody. I can't rescue anybody. I can't even keep my own food on my table. I'm a nobody. And this is the second thing I wanted to distill from this story. Gideon had a freak-out moment. And the freak-out moment was just quite simply, who, me? God, you're, you're going to call me. You're going to give me an assignment. Me? I can't do this. Okay, it's a freak out moment. You've probably had a freak out moment a time or two in your life, and you feel like you're weak. You don't feel like you're good enough. You don't feel like you've got the, the right skills to do what God's calling you to do. And then the Lord responds this way. The Lord, Yahweh, said to Gideon, I will be with you. I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites if, as if you were fighting against just one dude, okay? I will be with you. This is the third thing I'm distilling out of this story, is the promise that God makes, I will be with you. Now Gideon's paying attention, verse 17, he says, if you're truly going to help me, Show me a sign to prove that it is really Yahweh speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. And and God said, I will stay here until you return. So Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread. And then he carries it back to to God. Verse 20 says, God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. And then the angel of Yahweh touched the meat and the bread with the tip of the staff in his hand and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed everything he had brought and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Okay, now if, if God did something like that for you, would you believe that it was really God? Okay, Gideon didn't have as much faith as you have. He was still a skeptic. But in verse 25, we, we read that that night the Lord said to Gideon, now you've, sacri- you've made this sacrifice, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old, and pull down your father's altar to Baal, 
We used to say Baal. The proper pronunciation is something like Baal. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Now, you might not know about the false gods that the Israelites were worshiping at that time. The two primary ones were Baal, who was a male fertility god. In other words, they were literally worshiping sex. And the other one was an Asherah pole. She was a female fertility god. Again, the Israelites were literally worshiping sex. These were their gods, Baal and Asherah. And God said to Gideon, destroy those altars. And so the last thing that I want you to see in this story is that Gideon's first task, I'm sorry, the third thing I want you to see, I can count, one, two, three, uh, is Gideon's first task, before he went out to destroy the Midianites, his first task was to destroy the idols. And so the, the next part of the story is really interesting. Gideon took 10 of his servants and he did as the Lord commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Isn't this interesting? He was afraid of the Midianites. He was afraid of his own family members. Gideon was just afraid of everything. And early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. And in their place, a new altar had been built. And on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. And the people said to each other, who did this? And, and, and after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded to Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob that confronted him, why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal is truly a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. And from then on, Gideon was called Jerob Baal which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. So in other words, if I can summarize this part of the story, he obeyed God, he broke down the altars, and Baal didn't come and seek any kind of revenge. Gideon survived. And then soon afterwards, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Now look at this, verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. This is the fourth thing that I want you to see in this story, that God empowered Gideon. The, the Bible says he clothed him in the Spirit's power. Now this is really cool because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit wasn't given to anybody who sought the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. This was a unique experience that only a few people experienced in, under the Old Covenant. But this was the power that God gave Gideon to send him out and rescue Israel. Okay, And if you read the next two chapters of Judges, you're going to see that he was remarkably successful, but it was all because of the power of the Spirit of God that he was clothed with. It wasn't in his own energy. Okay. Now, I want to set that all as a backdrop, and you're going to see how this is going to, going to apply to 1 Corinthians. Okay? So now, if you've got your Bibles open, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Cool story, right? Did you like that? Okay. All right. Good. I'm glad you did. I thought it was really cool. 
I thought there would be all kinds of hanky-waving and amening, but you just listened. All right. Now, if you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and you just scan it down, you're going to see that there are all kinds of relationship-oriented topics that Paul addresses in this chapter. Marriage and celibacy, singlehood, widowhood, people who are separated, people who are divorced, people who are married to unbelievers, people who have been abandoned by their spouses. He talks about circumcision, which seems weird, but it's there. He talks about slavery. He talks about virginity. He talks about betrothal or engagement. And what all of these things have in common, all of these things, is that these are covenantal relationships. Okay, So for example, uh, circumcision is a covenantal sign between a Jew and his relationship to Yahweh. Slavery in those days, it's not like American slavery was. Slavery in those days was a covenantal relationship. People would willingly sell themselves into slavery because they had no other way to make a living. These are all covenantal relationships. And the reason Paul is talking about all these things in this chapter is because the Corinthians were asking Paul, now that we're Christians, should we rethink our relationships to serve Jesus better? In other words, I really want to serve Jesus with all of my heart, but this covenantal relationship I'm in is really messing up my ability to serve Jesus, okay? I'm married to a jerk. Should I rethink this relationship? I sold myself into slavery to survive, but Jesus made me free. Should I rethink this? Should should I do something different? I am a single person, and I've been serving God with all my heart, but I am super tempted. Should I rethink? And all of these, all of these relationships in this chapter are, are answering the question, should we rethink our relationships to serve Jesus' better? And now what, what I want to take you to is verse 17 in this chapter Because this really is the answer to this question that the Corinthians were asking that can can be a guide to anybody that is asking this question, should I rethink my covenantal relationship? Paul says, don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. This is a hard word for some people. Paul says, live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. I want to read that again. God, not your marital status, defines your... Oh, read it out loud with me. God... Not your marital status defines your life. And then he says this, don't think I'm being harder on you than the others. I give this same counsel in all of the churches. Evidently, lots of people were asking this question. Should I change my status to serve Jesus better? I want to read uh, verse 17, just the first part, in a a word-for-word translation. The NASB puts it this way. Let each one live his life 
in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. And, and I believe, from my study this week, that the word assigned is the most important word in this chapter. Did you know that God has given you an assignment? And what he's saying here is each one of us has a responsibility to live in the situation the Lord assigned us when he called us. God gave you an assignment when he called you. And, and he's saying, listen, don't be in a big hurry, hurry to change that assignment because that assignment is important. So if you're taking notes, here's, here's our big idea today. Like Gideon, we're going to go back to Gideon again and again here this morning. Like Gideon, God gave you a crucial assignment. Do you know what it is? Are, are you aware? Do you have any kind of awareness this morning of what your assignment is? And if you don't, this morning we're going to spend a little bit of time when we're done. Uh, and I'm looking at the clock and we might go a little over today. Please be patient with me. Because I think this is important. If you don't know what your assignment is, I believe today God is going to speak to you and give you some revelation about what your assignment is. For Gideon, his assignment was rescue Israel. Gideon said, ah, I'm not a rescuer. I'm, I'm, I'm super unimportant. God said, here's your assignment, rescue Israel. I believe it's quite possible that you today are going to discover God's given you an assignment and it's probably something you're not very comfortable with. But all of those things that we talked about already are going to apply to each one of us. Now here's the deal. I think this is really interesting. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know the chapters that we've been reading and the messages I've brought to you have been hard. Not just hard for me, but they're hard to receive because Paul is sometimes a hard nose. What's beautiful about this chapter is there's a lot of grace in chapter 7. And, and he says, listen, if you're, if you're in a situation that, that, that isn't working, you have some options. And, and you can take your options, but the biggest message of this chapter, I believe, is be slow to make a change. And keep your eyes, keep your, keep, be laser focused on that assignment God has given you. Don't ditch your assignment. In your haste, to pursue something that feels better, don't ditch your assignment. That's what Paul is saying in this chapter. And so there's four things that we can learn from Gideon to apply whatever your situation is. If you're here today and you're single or you're married or you're seeking something, you're divorced, maybe you've been abandoned by your... No matter what your situation here is today, we can learn a lot from Gideon in these four things. Here's the first thing that I want to talk about today. When you discover what God's assignment for you is in this season of your life, you might have a freak out moment. Okay. Who, me? Who, me? God gives you a crucial assignment. And, and six months into this crucial assignment, you figure out that this isn't what you had planned for your life. God's assignment for you doesn't really go with what you planned for your life. Have you ever known somebody that got married and all of a sudden six months in they discovered they didn't really like this situation? 
okay? It's happened to a lot of people. Or, or you, you gave your life to Jesus and you discovered that some things that you were pursuing in your life were incongruent with what God called you to be now. And, and, and you're like, who, me? You gotta be kidding me. Gideon said, I'm not strong enough. You might feel like you don't have the strength to really serve Jesus in the assignment you're in right now. Paul says, don't ditch your assignment. Pay attention. God may have something for you to do right where you are that will surprise you. Stay focused on this crucial assignment. Second thing we can learn from Gideon is this. God promised Gideon, and he promises you and me, I will be with you. I will be with you. Listen, here's what I know about the nature of God, the character of God. When he gives you an assignment, he walks along beside you in that assignment. We've been talking a lot the last couple of months about withing. If you haven't been here for those talks, um, it came from several years ago at Christmas time. I was teaching on one of the names of Jesus being Emmanuel, which means God with us. And here at Connect, we started talking about what if with is a verb and not a conjunction. Withing is something we do with each other. In fact, I was talking with Kathy this morning uh, about her small group, and, and she was concerned because we haven't, we haven't released the second half of our small group discussion guides, right? She was asking me, Pastor Russ, when are they going to be here? And I was telling her, I'm, I'm getting them done. I'm working on it. They're coming. And she said, don't worry, Pastor Russ. If we don't have a study guide, we'll just whiff. Because <laughs> whiffing is good. Here's what you got to know is if you're in a difficult life situation, if God's given you a crucial assignment and it's hard, what you got to know is God is whiffing you. He's right there with you. And, and, and it's an active thing. He's not just leaving you alone and kind of dropping in once in a while to check up on you. He is sitting with you in the hard. This is who he is. So he's saying to us, don't ditch your assignment because it's hard because I'm going to sit with you in this assignment. And here's one of the things that I, I think is really remarkable about the Apostle Paul. Paul wasn't giving the Corinthians advice that he wasn't applying in his own life. Paul's life was hard. There's some verses up on the screen from 2 Corinthians. It's the next letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. I've often wondered if that thorn in the flesh had a name. Like maybe she was named Edith or Martha. Have you ever wondered that? What was the thorn in the flesh? Scholars, a lot of scholars believe that it was a sickness or a disease, like maybe he had poor eyesight. One of the theories that floats around is that Maybe when Paul came to Jesus, he was married because he was a Pharisee, and the thorn in his flesh was an unbelieving wife who abandoned him once he became a Christian. 
Now, as I was setting this out this week, one, one commentator wrote, he doesn't think it would be consistent with Paul to call his wife, or even his ex-wife, a messenger of Satan. But maybe you would, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. I'm not saying it's his wife, but what I'm saying is his life was hard. And here's what he said, three different times I begged the Lord to take the thorn in the flesh away. And each time he said to me, who? My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Oh God, I hate it when you say that. (laughs) Really? Here's Paul. Do you know how powerful Paul was in the spirit? He was so powerful that he would take a handkerchief and hand it to somebody and they would take the handkerchief to sick people and the sick people would be healed from the handkerchief that had touched Paul, okay? But God wasn't taking away the thorn in his own flesh. Why? Because God wanted Paul to see his power displayed in his weakness. Paul goes on, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions. Sounds like a rough marriage. And the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, God might be saying to you this morning, The best thing you can know today in this place that you're at, this critical assignment that I've given, the crucial assignment I've given you, the best thing you can know is I'm going to be with you in this place. Stay the course. Don't ditch your assignment because you never know what God can do through somebody that lets his power be displayed through weakness. Are you with me? His power works best through weakness. So that's the second thing we can learn from Gideon. God will be with you. Here's the third thing. Like Gideon, your first task is probably to destroy the idols that the culture has erected all around you. We've been talking about this intersection between Christ and culture. Here's where we all live. There are all kinds of idols all around us. For, for Gideon, it was Baal, and it was the Asherah pole, these, these idols that people were tempted to worship instead of worshiping Yahweh. You and I both know that we have idols all around us, and they are tempting. Even for those of us that have been walking with Jesus for so long, these idols are tempting. I'm going to talk about a couple of them. Here's the first idol that a lot of us worship. It's the idol of, I deserve to be happy. Did you know it's an idol? Is it possible that God has an assignment for you that is bigger than your happiness? The, the related idol that kind of goes with this one, it's not the next idol I'm going to talk about. I'm going off script here, so danger. Um, the correlating idol is you only live once. 
So I'm going to ditch my assignment. I'm going to ditch my marriage. I'm going to ditch my vows to Jesus. I'm going to ditch the call to sexual fidelity. I'm, I'm going to ditch because you only live once. I can only do this once. I'm going to let it go because I deserve to be happy. It's an idol. And God calls us to strike down the idols because you're never going to conquer the Midianites in your life if you don't destroy the idols first. Powerful lesson. Here's the second lesson that we've got, the, the second idol that we've got to tear down. It's the idol of I deserve sexual fulfillment. It's an idol. And there are all kinds of things in life that prevent us from experiencing sexual fulfillment in the way that we desire. You might be in a marriage where you're not getting what you want sexually. And you might be tempted to ditch your assignment and get out because you're not getting what you want. Listen, it's an idol. It's an idol. And it's gonna prevent you from living in the blessing of God if you don't tear down that idol. One of the things that I've heard uh, every once in a while when I'm having a conversation with someone that struggles with same-sex attraction is, uh, I, I just don't believe that God would deprive me of sexual fulfillment because God made sex and I'm not attracted to women, so what am I going to do? I deserve sexual fulfillment. Is it possible that there's something bigger and more important for your life than sexual fulfillment? I want to go back to that verse that I read, verse 17. Do you remember what it said? God, not your marital status, is what defines your life. And you're never going to live there unless you tear down the idol that I deserve this thing. I deserve it. Right? To quote that old rancher, no, it was the guy before. There's no I in marriage. Oh, I'm way off script. Okay, back to the script. <laughs> God's calling you to destroy the idols that are going to prevent you from going after the assignment God has given you. And I want to encourage you this morning, along with Paul, don't ditch your assignment over some stupid idols. I chose those words specifically. They're stupid idols. They're just stupid. Okay. One more thing that we can learn from Gideon. God empowers you. When he gives you a crucial assignment, he empowers you and he will clothe you with the Holy Spirit. He did it for Gideon, unique in that time. What's beautiful as being a, a believer in the new covenant is that Jesus promised that the clothing of the power of the Holy Spirit is for every one of us. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Why is that important? Because you might be in an assignment today. You might be in an assignment today 
in, in which you believe that you don't have the strength, you don't think you have the wherewithal, I can't go the distance in my situation in life. Jesus says when you're clothed with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be clothed with power to go way beyond what you think you can do in your own life. And this is a really interesting verse from 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. Paul is talking about celibacy. Really interesting in this chapter that's talking about marriage and divorce and abandonment and all kinds of stuff. In verse 7, he's talking about celibacy. and He's encouraging single people to live in a life of celibacy as he is. Because whether or not he was previously married or not, Paul was living not in a married relationship when he wrote this letter. And he said, I wish that all people could live in this celibate state that I'm living in, but each one has his own gift from God. One person has this gift, another person has that gift. That word there, gift, is, is the word charisma which means a spiritual gift. It's an impartation of the Holy Spirit that helps you function in the gifts that God has called you to do. Did you know, we love to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and all of the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues and healing and miracles and all those. Did you know that celibacy is a spiritual gift? When the Holy Spirit imparts to you the power to live a life of celibacy. It's not for everyone. Paul says it's not for everyone. And in this chapter, like I said before, there's all kinds of grace and you can, you can make choices. He says, listen, if you don't have the gift of celibacy and you want to get married, get married. But don't ditch. Go to the next slide. Don't ditch your assignment. I needed it because I couldn't remember what the words were. Don't ditch your assignment. If you don't have the gift of celibacy, get married. There, there's grace in this chapter. It's beautiful. He says, listen, if you have an unbelieving spouse and they decide they, they're, they're going to leave you, they just can't come to agreement with you, let them go. Let them go. It's okay. But don't ditch your assignment. One of the powerful things in this chapter that Paul talks about is the possibility that if you live in a miserable marriage, if you're living in a miserable marriage with somebody who doesn't worship Jesus, doesn't love Jesus, they're not following Jesus, he says, who knows? Your assignment might bring, be bringing salvation to your spouse. You might have an assignment that is the mission of Jesus. Do you remember that Jesus is the one who loves people so much that he will leave the 99 to go after the one? Okay? Nikki is called to the nations. Someday she's going to be back serving the nations, reaching hundreds and thousands of people. Ryan is going on youth with a mission. She's going to be going to the nations. We all have a call to be on mission what if your assignment, what if your crucial assignment is reaching your spouse, you have an assignment of one? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to tear down the idol of I deserve to be happy, to reach the one and see that one spend eternity in heaven with you? Or are you gonna ditch because you're worshiping the idol of I deserve something? I deserve something better than this. Whew, this is a hard word. Am I right? But you remember what we sang earlier? 
You reign above it all. Will you tear down those idols today and say, Jesus, I'm going to let you reign over my life. I'm going to embrace this crucial assignment no matter what it costs because I believe you have something for me to do right in the station of life where I am right now. And I'm not going to step out from under the umbrella of your blessing to follow some stupid idol. You have a work to do right where you are. Now, all of that to say, I hope this week you will dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You will probably find yourself in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and Paul has great advice. The beautiful thing about this chapter is he says, this is my advice, this is what I think, this is, this is what would be best for you, but you know what? Be led of the Spirit and make a wise decision, but don't ditch your assignment. So the question I want to ask today is, do you know what your assignment is? What's your assignment? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? God, I believe you are always speaking. I was so thankful today that Nikki had her ears open so, so purposefully that she heard a message for all of us to turn our faces to you. you. You spoke in that moment. It was beautiful. And right now, God, you're speaking to us as well. This, this is a moment which you're speaking Will you help us to hear you clearly? Because God, the reality is we're not gonna have the strength to keep going if we don't know what our assignment is. So will you talk to us? Will you give us revelation? I feel like today there's somebody here who's in a really difficult place in life. Might be your spouse, might be your singlehood, maybe it's your job. Did you know your job is a covenantal relationship? I feel like what God is saying to somebody here today, and it might be more than one, your assignment is to reach someone that is making you miserable. That person who is making you miserable is the one God has assigned to you. Will you receive it? Will you say yes to the assignment? What else are you saying, Lord? I feel like he's saying to some single people here today, God has an assignment for you in this season of singleness, and it might not be for your whole life, 
but he has an assignment for you. This season of singleness for you is a season in which you are going to be effective at the mission of Jesus. You're going to touch people. You're going to influence people. You're going to have great spiritual power. It's going to be the clothing of the power of the Holy Spirit resting upon you that's going to cause you to be effective for the mission of Jesus in this season of singleness. Don't be quick to change your status. Don't get distracted with all the social media apps and the dating apps and and just beat down the door of finding somebody for the sake of your loneliness. Stay focused on your assignment. God has something for you in this season. Don't ditch it. Now God might be saying something completely different for you. Just, Just a couple more minutes, just quiet reflection here. If you hear God saying something, write it down. If you've got a note card, write it down. Open the notes app in your phone, write it down. Don't miss this opportunity to say yes to the assignment God's giving you. Jacob, I know that, um, I know you have a different song prepared, but I just feel like we need to go back to you reign above it all. Can we do that one instead? While they get all set up, I want to tell you a story. It's a story of hope. When I was a young person, there was, there was a couple in, in my church that had a miserable marriage. And they weren't private about it. Everybody knew they were miserable. And, uh, and by the time their, their daughter, they just had one daughter between the two of them, by the time their daughter was like junior high age, high school age, um, mom was living upstairs, dad was living downstairs completely separate lives. And uh, Chris and I were young adult pastors in those, in those years, and so when their, when their daughter graduated from high school and became a part of our group, you know, we, we had lots of opportunity to share about what her home life was like and what her parents were like. And, and she said, you know, mom and dad are functionally divorced. They live in completely different separate quarters in, in their house, but they're both too stubborn to ask for divorce. They both just decided, if he's not going to ask for an divorce, I'm not going to get it. And they hated each other. I mean, they, they were miserable people to each other. And he had his job, she had her job, and, 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 and it was just that way. And they lived in that static misery for many, many years. And a few years ago, it was after Chris and I moved to Bozeman, we, we got a call from their daughter, who, who was married and, and in a successful career, and she called and she said, I just had to call and tell you what has happened to my parents. 
She said, we have this nightly ritual. I call my mom and I check and see how her day was going and we chat for a while and then, and then she said, and as soon as I hang up with my mom, I have to call my dad because if he finds out I've talked to my mom and I didn't call him, he's gonna be mad at me. So I have to make sure that everything is fair. And she said, I, I called and I was talking to my mom and I said, well, mom, I gotta go, I gotta call dad. And it was late at night, she knew her mom was in bed. And mom said, just a second, I'll just give my phone to your dad. And she said it was, in that moment, she realized her dad was in bed with her mom. And that was weird. And you know what had happened is after all these years, I, I bet it was 20 or more years that they hated each other. He had gotten sick and landed in the hospital. And she went to the hospital to visit him, his wife went to the hospital to visit him. And as he was laying there in that hospital bed, she said to herself, what would happen if I lost him? And why have I wasted all of these years that I could have been loving him instead of hating him? And they reconciled around that hospital bed. And he's gone home to be with the Lord now. But for those last years of my life, Becky used to call them the lovebirds because they were so sappy and so ridiculous. But God did something miraculous for them because they didn't ditch their assignment. Something inside of, inside of them said, you know what, I'm not gonna be the one to ditch. I'm not gonna be the one to divorce. I'm gonna push through. I don't know if they even had any hope for reconciliation. But even in the absence of hope, God still did something. I, that story doesn't fit my message exactly right, but I hope it's an encouragement to someone. Lynn, I see you wiping tears from your eyes because you and Dan pushed through. And you and Dan are living a miraculous marriage because neither one of you ditched. Your story is powerful. And it's a witness to all of us that that, that God does miracles. I've got so many more stories and I'm looking at the clock. We're out of time. We should just worship. Stand to your feet. We sang this song earlier and I don't know if you connected with the words to this song, but come on. Will you make a declaration today that you will give Jesus reign over your life? No matter what it is, Jesus, you reign above my life.